welcome to Carmel Presbyterian Church's podcast channel. Open up a Bible or just listen in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you. Good morning. So I'm going to start this morning by sharing something really personal. I want you guys to know that I, I have a type A personality. That is something that I have been given. Uh, I didn't re- recognize that I was very type A until I was around people who didn't organize the same way I did and didn't take notes the same way I did. And so when we go on camp trips with our students, I have a special notebook that is for all of my details, like the times we left the location and the times we arrive somewhere or notes for future years. And when I get home, I enter everything in this beautiful Excel spreadsheet, and I print it out, and I put it in a folder, and I keep it for for following years so I don't forget. And some of you might be thinking, that's really responsible. That's what a leader should do. But I also put in the spreadsheet items that I forgot to pack, things that I needed to pack personally. And I also put in there my favorite milkshake flavor at Hume Lake. I know, it's really silly, but I'm afraid that I'm going to forget the combination of ice cream of peanut butter cup and cappuccino crunch. And so I have this spreadsheet, and I take so much pride in the spreadsheet. So when you compare that to to Pastor Luke, and he just gets in the van, he's like, let's go. And I I think he has directions, but but we're just very different. And when you compare that, I look very controlling um, and a little too meticulous in my note-taking. So an example is a couple years ago, I created an event for the middle schoolers, and we were going to go to In-N-Out and then to Candy Cane Lane in PG. And my type A personality, right, I needed RSVPs by a certain date. I only had 20 spots. Well, come to Wednesday night, I had 38 kids. So every kid that RSVP'd brought someone else who didn't RSVP. So I am stressing, right? I'm calling parents, trying to get seats. We get to In-N-Out. If you've ever been to In-N-Out with more than three people, it's chaotic. And then we get to Candy Cane Lane. And by the time I get back to the church, I'm exhausted. And I tell my leaders, nope, I'm never doing that again. Like, once was enough. And they said, Amanda, the kids had so much fun, though. Are you really going to let your type A personality, right, your personality of not wanting any surprises along the way to get in the way of them having an awesome experience. And I think sometimes our personalities and our preferences limit what God is doing. And I know that about myself. And so I have to work hard to actively trust God instead of worrying about all of the logistics. This morning, we are going to observe an ordinary day of Jesus' teaching that turns into so much more. We'll see how those who extend themselves in Jesus' name, they'll not only find themselves satisfied, but overflowing with his provision. You see, when we surrender to God, y'all, we have to get ready for our minds to be blown. By participating in God's kingdom, we witness the visible abundance of his blessing. Would you turn to Mark 6? It's on page 841 in your pew Bibles. And I'll just give you a little background. This story that we'll read this morning that Frank already read is found in all four Gospels. And the text comes on the heels of difficulty. Mark 6 starts with Jesus being rejected in his hometown. People are looking at him and saying, this guy, this guy, the the son of a carpenter, is going to teach and heal in this way? And then Jesus sends the disciples out on their first solo trip to minister. And he prepares them to expect rejection and tells them how to handle rejection. 
And it says in verse 6 of uh, Mark 6 that Jesus marveled at the unbelief of those who rejected him. And I wonder if Jesus sometimes marvels at us in the moments where, where we are so clear. He is so clear and so visible, but we choose to reject him. Let's have eyes to see Jesus this morning. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, your word is alive and well. And as we turn to it, and as we seek to hear your voice this morning, God, I pray that your spirit would bring it anew, that we would be in awe of you in the way the disciples were in awe of you as well. You are already here, spirit, working in the songs and in in your scripture and in prayer, and so we submit to you, Lord, have your way in us this morning. Amen. So we'll start in verse 30 of Mark chapter 6. And we'll read it again together this morning. You don't have to read out loud. I'll just preface that. Verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. So we see the apostles have returned from their trip, and they're reflecting with Jesus on the ministry that they did. So we can only assume that they were tired and they needed rest after their first missions trip, we'll say. And you know when people tell you, like, you look tired today, right? That's one of the worst things you can hear. But often it's really true, right? We carry our outward expression of what's going on inwardly. So Jesus could probably see the disciples needed a rest from the ministry they'd been doing. And they probably, like the text kind of suggests, they didn't even have time to eat. So based on this this, uh, part of the the scripture and, and how the story unfolds, I would say the disciples were experiencing something called hangriness, right? Hunger turned into anger. And some of you know that voice of the annoyed voice that people have. Maybe you have it or that person next to you has that hangry voice sometimes. So the disciples and Jesus, they pull away to a desolate place, but people start running and they beat them there. And that's not the welcome wagon the disciples had planned, right? (laughs) But it says Jesus didn't mind. Actually, he had compassion for them. He looked at them with love, and he felt compelled to teach them, not because they knew everything already, but because they were lost, because they were desperate for a shepherd. Jesus is never too busy. He's never too tired to hear from us. But why do we think that he is? If I was there that day with with the crowd and with the disciples, and I saw them get in a boat and choose to get away from people, but I still had questions and doubts about who Jesus was, while everyone else was running, I would have hung back and just been in the back of the crowd. Because I would have thought, you know, I don't want to bother Jesus. I'm sure I can figure out my questions on my own. I don't want to be that person that's interrupting his time. Sometimes we think that what we are dealing with is too insignificant to go to Jesus with. So we run to other sources. In my life, I run to other people. I I tend to think that they will empathize with me more, right? They will understand my situation. But ultimately, I'm trusting the Jesus in them rather than Jesus himself. And the main person that we should come across needy to is Jesus. 
Let's be the kind of believers and the kind of church that runs to Jesus with our problems, with our needs, and with our questions. And we will find that we won't be turned away, but we'll be like the crowd in this story. We will be welcomed. Sometimes we have to abandon all the social graces and run recklessly to Jesus. Let's continue in verse 35. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? The disciples were just off And it says in scripture that they were healing, they were casting out demons, they were anointing people. They were seeing God's kingdom in front of them, yet they still misunderstand Jesus. The text, it doesn't say they ever got their rest or their food, so I think that hangriness is still occurring in their hearts. And Jesus says, you feed them, right? You you give them something to eat. And I think it's funny that the disciples felt the need to clarify with Jesus what that meant, They said, really, 200 denarii on bread, 200 days of pay on bread for these people, these strangers almost? They still weren't understanding Jesus' heart for others and his willingness to do whatever it takes to care for us. They had so quickly forgotten God's power. And to be fair, if we look in scripture, they had only seen water be turned into wine as a miracle. They had not seen anything like this, so they did not know what to expect. And this will continue to occur in the Gospels. I love that the New Testament writers, they didn't shy away of keeping stories in there that show the disciples needed continual discipleship. They didn't learn things once, right? They needed a continual process. And right now, that's happening in my life. God has been confronting me with my own notions of doubt and fear and lack of faith. And so over the last year, God has put something on my heart and on my mind. But I would just fall into my own comforts of watching TV and watching all the Chicago Fire, Chicago Med, all these Chicago TV shows to distract myself. And then God would resurface that idea, but I would fear that it wouldn't succeed. And so I would just push it away. And just this week, I realized that I've been limiting God by holding back. And there was this line in in the Bible study I was doing that said this. It's on the screen. To risk is to willingly place your life in the hand of an unseen God and an unknown future and then watch him come through. He starts to get real when you live like that. All of the reasons that were keeping me from listening to God and obeying God, they all revolved around me and my fear and my selfishness for my time. So I'm in the process of listening and praying and, and understanding how I'm going to surrender to God. And I'm not going to share the specifics of it now, um, so stay tuned in my life for how it unfolds. But don't worry, I'm not moving or leaving Carmel Press. That's not what it is. So verse 38, we'll continue on. And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, he said, five, they said five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them, and they all ate and were satisfied. Jesus doesn't mess around when it comes to caring for us. He gets right to the heart. What do we have? Five fish, or not five, 
five loaves, two fish, and notices this is not going to be enough. And if you're thinking about this kind of loaf, right, this beautiful communion loaf, not like this, or those huge baguettes from Safeway that are kind of like the size of a toddler, not that, right? It might have been something like this. Okay, not this delicious or sweet as the donuts, but something about this size, something that in our minds we wouldn't have thought would be able to feed thousands and thousands of people. So think about the donuts like this that are going to await you on the patio, and imagine that Red's Donuts decide to cut our order in half. So for the entire Sunday morning, we had half a dozen. And there was like a couple sprinkles and a couple old-fashioned and a blueberry. I'm thinking of all your favorite donuts right now. Right? That's all that there was. So now that I have you thinking about donuts, don't worry. That's not true. There will be enough donuts for everybody. But the idea is that Jesus took all that was offered, and he surrendered it, and it was enough. Right? He strategized with the people. He gathered what he could. He blessed it. And then he sent it out with the disciples. And my mind wonders, at what point do the disciples go from being skeptical to being in awe? Right? Imagine that they're out there on the grass, and everybody is in groups. And Jesus says, here you go. Here's the bread. So they have their baskets, and they're going timidly, each group, kind of embarrassed that at some point this is going to run out. At some point they won't have enough. Yet the further they go, the further they walk in faith, each time they reach their hand into that basket, there's more bread and there's more fish. And I'd imagine they go from that embarrassment and timidness to just laughing and just being in awe of what God can do. I don't know if you've ever been to a magic show, but I'm going to say it's kind of like this. At a magic show, you start like this. You start with the expectation that they need to prove themselves to you, that this magician better do something pretty impressive. And at first, they pull one rabbit out of the hat, and you kind of uncross your arms, you're like, okay, that was kind of, that was interesting. And then they pull a second rabbit out, thinking, this is, this is pretty cool. And then a third rabbit, and you're pushing your friend, like, this is not, this is crazy. And by the fourth rabbit, you are on your feet, just jumping and laughing in disbelief of what you just saw with your own eyes. I think that's how the disciples would have been, that they got to go into the crowd and act as bearers of bread. And as they continued, their disbelief turned into utter amazement, not only because they were witnesses, but because they participated in giving God's abundance to the people. In the midst of what God is doing in your life, it can be hard to see it as fruitful or beneficial. With every step we take, though, we can become transformed by God. Like Jairus, the synagogue leader, who was told, your daughter is dead, yet he took steps with Jesus back to his house. Or the ten lepers who ran to the temple to see if they would be healed. Sometimes it takes step-by-step faith, hand-in-hand with God, in order to see transformation and restoration and answered prayers in our lives. As the disciples passed out food and the people ate, they found they were satisfied that Jesus satisfied their everyday immediate needs in order to demonstrate a spiritual need in their hearts. Where do you need him to do the same for you? Continuing in verse 43, it says, And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of fish, and those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. This multiplication of food, it would parallel 2 Kings chapter 4. Elisha was known for miracles. 
And in, in that text, in 2 Kings, he feeds 100 men with 20 barley loaves and some left over. Just like this Mark text, there was not only enough food for that day, but there was more than enough. And Moses does the same as well. He's there in the desert with the Israelites to lead them. And he's there when God sends manna to sustain the people. And now here's Jesus giving out this inexplicable miracle bread. Elijah and Moses, they only foreshadow a taste of what Jesus can and does provide. Jesus, he doesn't just give out bread the way they did. He is the bread of life. And so it's here in this isolated and deserted place that people taste and see that the Lord is good. But right, the text doesn't say they weren't just satisfied, but there were leftovers. There were 12 baskets of leftovers, more than they started with. And I love, John Piper uh, has a quote about this text, especially the leftovers. And in our question, just what do the leftovers mean? He gives this quote of what Jesus' response might have been. When you serve me, and you give, and you give, and you give until you think you can give no more, I will take care of you. I will always be enough for you. If you pour out your life to give bread to the world, I will be your all-satisfying bread. The more you satisfy others, the more I will be your satisfaction. The more you give life to others, the more I will be life to you. In this miracle of five loaves and two fish, Jesus just pulls back the curtain to show us who he really is, how powerful he is, and what he's capable of doing. Isn't it amazing when we get to witness and see what God can do? I want to share with you about something that puts on display a firsthand account of what God's glory looks like as a means to grow his kingdom. And so by a show of hands, I'm going to ask, how many of you know that Mayflower Church in Pacific Grove was replanted? Okay, pretty good. How many of you know that CPC had a huge part in making that happen? Kind of about the same hands. A lot of you didn't raise your hand, though, so I can tell that it's not common knowledge. It's not that every hand went up to know that Carmel Press played an integral role in relaunching and replanting Mayflower Church into Wellspring Church. About a decade ago... Mayflower Presbyterian Church in Pacific Grove was a vibrant church, but over recent years, they've been in a steady decline, leaving them with about 70 people. And they didn't want to close their doors, so they sought help from the outside, from key leaders in this church and on the peninsula. And they decided that they would replant within Mayflower Church with a new pastor, Tony Trebek. So I want to show you this video of Tony sharing 18 months ago what his vision was for Mayflower. Hi, my name is Tony Trayback. Uh, I want to let you guys in on a pretty cool story. Things that God is doing in my life and maybe even the life of a community down here in Pacific Grove. Over the last three years, I feel like God has been giving me a vision for how I would lead His people. And I feel like over this last few months, you know, one of my mentors tapped me on the shoulder and said, Tony, as I've been praying for you, I think there's this opportunity in Pacific Grove with this church called Mayflower. And I began to explore it and my heart came alive. And I started to realize, whoa, all the work God had been doing over the last two or three years to equip me as a leader, to give me a vision for God's people, maybe it was for this time. Sometimes I get asked, like, why do a replant? Like, why not just 
plant a church. You know, you get your 30 or 40 people that you love and you know and you've worked with for three years and it's like, oh, this is perfect. Or why not do a revitalization where you take a group and you try and revitalize it? Like, why a replant? And I think my question is like, why not? Isn't that God's very heart to take someone or a group of people that feel like they need a restart, a fresh moment, something new to guide them into the future? Like, why wouldn't God be all about that? We have these beautiful old churches all across America. How much, would, how, how much would it excite the heart of God and God's people to take some of these beautiful buildings, people that have faithfully served for years and even decades and breathe new life, new energy and new hope into these people and communities in these gorgeous old buildings. We are so excited to partner with what God is doing here in Pacific Grove and at Mayflower. We are so excited to journey with the Spirit as He leads us on this adventure. Please pray for us as God sends us out and transforms us within to be His people and ambassadors of His good news wherever we go. Hey Carmel Prez, this is Tony Trayback at Wellspring Church. I just wanted to make a quick video just to update you on the awesome stuff that God is doing here. It's been incredible. So as you know, uh, about 12 months ago, we did this launch. So last Easter, we did a launch here with this replant and it has been unbelievable. Since we arrived, God has been on the move, transforming this place. Uh, so if you don't know, you know about 18 months ago, uh, Wellspring Church, formerly Mayflower, was almost ready to close its doors. There were about 60 people when I started. I think there was one family under 40. Uh, and since that time, God has just awoken this body in profound ways. Folks from outside the church have been coming in. The church has, I don't know, <laughs> grown by three or four times in the last 18 months. We have tons of new families, tons of folks in their 20s. And in the last year, we have seen, uh, just from a financial side, going from total dependence on your generosity to almost sustainability, which is just unreal and beautiful and so excited. We are so grateful for your generosity to us, and we are just forever thanking you and praying for you uh, and just unbelievably indebted to you and your generosity. So thanks. Uh, talk to you soon. Come and visit us when you get a second. All right, talk to you soon. Bye. when I watched that video. As you saw, the few faithful members of Mayflower, which is now Wellspring Church, they chose to surrender and submit to God. And they were the faithful few who now today on any given Sunday, they have about 200 to 300 attenders. Jesus multiplied their church through the power and the glory of the Holy Spirit and through the generosity of this congregation and individuals in it. This is a picture, a beautiful picture of the power of the body of Christ coming together to bring more of God's kingdom here on earth. And you heard in there, he said, why, did, why do a replant? Why not just go on your own, have a fresh start with new people? And, and Tony would say, why not? But I think a better reason, no offense to Tony, is <laughs> what I read in this book. Um, it's, it's a book called Who's Afraid of Post-Modernism by James K. Smith. And he suggests that in modern society, we gravitate towards what is new. We have this infatuation with newness and wanting to start with a fresh, clean slate instead of the messiness and the brokenness of something old. 
And he goes on to say this, new construction is always easier than renovation. But there is something about the givenness and grittiness of existing communities that challenges our autonomous dreams to create or plant the next best thing. I would take a restored arts and crafts home from the 1900s over the blandness of new developments any day. Taking the pieces of Mayflower Church and allowing God to breathe new life into them created this new hope and this new vision for the possibilities of what God can do. When I was talking to Tony before, as I was preparing this sermon, he gave me a glimpse of what it looks like on a Sunday morning. He said that faithful few that, that started right, submitting to God, they're still there, and they waited in expectation of what he might do. Now on Sunday mornings, they sit weeping. They sit weeping at the sight of an almost resurrection-like movement and moment in the life of their church. They thought their church was going to die, yet through what others could offer, the power of God transformed their dying church in order to form a new church. And another example is that on, on any given Sunday, Wellspring packs out their space. So they pack out their sanctuary. And he said, instead of just creating a second service to make people feel more comfortable, they open up this, uh, like accordion doors and they add about 60 more chairs. And it's a leftover space. But not leftover as in neglected, but leftover as in abundance to be visible representation of what God can do. And I think something changes in our hearts and our minds when we see the abundant provision of God. Now, did the 60 or 70 members of Mayflower expect for God to work in this way? When they prayed for revitalization, is this what they pictured? And maybe, maybe not, though. When the thousands of people that were listening to Jesus that day received the bread and the fish, is that what they thought they'd be having for dinner? Or did some say, mm, no, thank you, I'm gluten-free? No, that's okay. <laughs> what makes something like bread a miracle? Is it the shiny beauty of something new? Or is it the one who sends it? We must be willing to look at everything as a gift from God. Because nothing is too ordinary to be given from God. And nothing is too ordinary to be used by God. Imagine those disciples, those tired disciples, as they got to the lake on the other side. In that moment, they had a choice. Jesus invited them to do one more thing, spend one more day ministering, one more coffee date, one more shared meal, one more prayer for someone else. And in that one more experience is when God flexed his power. The disciples got to be on the front row seat, the bearers right, of God's gift and also God's good news. And some of you know what that's like. Some of you know what it's like to be the hands and feet of Jesus in this community. The disciples got to be a part of that because they got out of the boat. Right? They didn't go home and sleep. They didn't get on Netflix. They didn't stay where it was comfortable. They extended themselves and got to participate in a miracle. And we, Carmel Press, get to participate in a miracle as well. We've been in a transition looking for a new senior pastor, and I know many of you have stepped up in big ways to lead ministries and to serve at this church, and I'm guessing some of you might be tired and some of you might be weary. And so we want to pray alongside our prayer team that God would do immeasurably more even through our tiredness. Look at how God multiplied Wellspring. He can do that here, and we are trusting and hoping that he will. Church, when we surrender to God the gifts of our ordinary life, stand aside and expect him to do immeasurably more than we imagined. 
With an ordinary loaf of bread, Jesus fed thousands. And with an ordinary loaf of bread, we are reminded of the body of Christ that not only satisfies, but overflows with the spiritual goodness of eternal life. Thank you for listening. For more information about Carmel Presbyterian Church, visit our website at www.carmelpres.org or any of our social media pages. Have a blessed rest of your week.